Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Anuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I said a moment ago there's not a whole lot of texts that directly relate to the birth of Jesus. And so every once in a while preachers look around for sermon titles and sermon texts. And I found a list of sermon texts and titles by Baptist preachers. Now I want you to listen to this as I was looking around. Here's one, How the Grinch stole Christmas. And this particular pastor began by reading from Dr. Seuss. Along that same line, the Grinch that stole Christmas, and then another one, don't let the Grinch steal Christmas, and again citing Dr. Seuss. Here's another one, what would E.T. see? And it begins this way, this morning I'm going to rewrite a movie, let's suppose that you were a character in the movie E.T., what if Christmas doesn't come? That was preached in 2020, obviously. The truth about traditions. Did the Magi do magic? And one of the comments this particular preacher made was this Christmas stuff is enough to drive a person crazy. <laughs> I didn't know I'd get an amen on that. But I... The original Christmas tree, the cross, and I think there's a difference between the two, right? When Christmas isn't all it's cracked up to be, 
How about this one? A Christmas message from the Peanuts gang. And he says, I want to try and preach this message by way of the Holy Spirit and through the eyes of Charles Schultz's characters, a Christmas message from the Peanut gang. How about this one? What would Santa Claus say about Christmas? Surviving Christmas. And then my favorite, rejoice anyway. I know that preachers like to come up with interesting titles for their sermon sometimes, and the reason they do that is in order to create a curiosity in the minds of people. I wonder what he's going to preach about. And I'll be honest with you, I've done that a few times. You know, several years ago, I preached from the book of Jeremiah, and where Jeremiah said that he had decided that he was just going to quit preaching, and he couldn't because the Word of God was a fire in his bones, and so I called that my resignation message because there's three things you can do. You can resign, or you can resign yourself to what's going on, or you can resign with God, okay? I had a friend in seminary who preached from the book of Acts when the apostle Paul went to Athens, and he was there on Mars Hill, and he titled his message, Paul's Trip to Mars. And so, you know, preachers can do some crazy things sometimes. Amen. Now, I don't know everything or anything about these messages. I didn't listen to these messages. I just read a little bit about them. I don't know anything about the preachers that preach them, but I think some folks are getting sort of far astray of the Word of God in their message titles and in things they relate to the Word of God, to the message that they preach. Folks, Christmas is about Jesus. Christmas is about the Lord Jesus Christ. I realize that the business world doesn't think that Christmas is about Jesus. You know what the business world thinks Christmas is about? Money, money, money. Profits. This is an opportunity to end the year with big sales and big profits, and that's what we're looking at. And so many of the businesses won't even allow their employees to say Merry Christmas, will they? They have to say Happy Holidays, because we sure don't want to offend anybody by linking Jesus to Christmas or saying anything about Christ at Christmas time. I believe it's obvious that the advertising world does not think that Christmas is about Jesus. If you just watch some of the ads that are in print or listen to some of them that are on the radio and some that are on television, and I'm beginning to believe that the majority of the religious world, notice what I said, religious world, not Lord's churches, but that the majority of the religious world doesn't think that Christmas is about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is. Christmas is about Jesus. And one of the great dangers of Christmas, especially in our modern day celebration of it, is that we will forget the real reason that we come to this time in the month of December, whether you believe Jesus was born in December or October or April, whenever you believe he was born, that we'll forget the reason that he was born. God sent a Savior into the world. And he sent a Savior into the world to a virgin named Mary, and that Savior grew to be a young man. We read through verse 40. Verse 41 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and we read about when he was 12. But you look back to verse 40, it says he grew. Jesus did not come and stay in this world as a baby. So many people want to worship the baby. Well, I guess that's okay at Christmas time, but he grew up. He grew into manhood, and he had a personal ministry upon this earth, and he became our sin sacrifice. Don't be guilty of leaving Jesus in the manger. 
Don't be guilty of coming up to him and just say, well, he, you know, we worship the babe born in Bethlehem. Now, I realize this is a busy time of year. We've got places to go. We've got things to do. And I know because of our, I guess some of my feeling about this time of year is going to come out. Because of the gross commercialization of Christmas, we all feel like we've got to go and buy gifts, don't we? And we've got to buy the perfect gift. By the way, you can't give the perfect gift. The perfect gift has already been given. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It comes down from God. That's what James says in the first chapter of James. And so Jesus had been given. You give up trying to buy the perfect Christmas gift. Sometimes, again, we make to-do lists. I said Joni's a list maker. I'm not a list maker. Again, I think I can remember it all, and I don't. But we make to-do lists, and so I'm going to give you some things to add to your to-do list from these verses here in the second chapter of Luke for this Christmas celebration, this Christmas observance. And here's the very first one. Look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. That word marvel has the idea of being filled with wonder. And so the very first thing we need to do at this time of year is to consider the wonder of the birth of Jesus. Amen. What do you mean consider the wonder? Now I certainly don't mean question things. I mean we need to be filled with wonder, with awe. And people talk about the wonder of Christmas these days. Well, when I talk about the wonder of Christmas, I'm not talking about having a white Christmas or the feeling that everybody has this time of year and they call it the Christmas spirit. I'm talking about the wonder of God coming in the flesh to this earth. Coming to take on the sin of mankind. I want you to look back in the second chapter to verse 19 for just a moment. Because we read there about Mary. And it says, this was after Jesus had been born. This is after the shepherds had come to the manger. And it says, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. I don't know how much Mary knew. I know she knew what the angel Gabriel had told her. I don't know how much more she knew about what God was doing with her and through her and in her. But whatever it was, it says she didn't just dismiss it. You know, I think sometimes that's what we do at Christmas time. We give sort of a, a cursory observation or a cursory acknowledgement to the birth of Jesus. But for so many and even some of God's people... Thoughts are not about Jesus. They're thoughts about parties and gifts and family getting together and so forth. Remember, Christmas is about the Lord Jesus Christ. The word kept means to keep closely together. Pondered means to throw together, to confer with oneself. In other words, Mary saw what was happening. Jesus had been born. The shepherds had come. And she thought about that. She dwelt on that. We need to dwell on the wonder of God sending his only begotten son. But then there's also the wonderment, as I call it, of the shepherds. Look back at verse 15. It came to pass as the angels were, remember, the shepherds are out in the field. They're keeping their flocks. The angels appear and, and announce the birth of Jesus. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Then we get down to verses 17 and 18, and they say, When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. 
Now, can you imagine being out in the Judean hillside in the nighttime, first of all, and the darkened sky is suddenly bright with the shining of angels? And then the announcement, the Messiah has been born. The Messiah has come into this world. And these shepherds were so filled with wonder of what they had been told. What did they do? They went to Bethlehem. They said, let us go. And I don't think they were doubting the announcement by the angels, but they were so filled with wonder about what was happening. They said, we, you know how a lot of times we as human beings want to be a part of something, especially something that is just fantastic or spectacular or great. And so they said, we want to go. We want to see the Messiah has been born and let's go and see this thing that has come to pass that the Lord has made known to us. And so they went and when they left, what did they do? Verse 17 says, they made known abroad everything they'd seen. Now, if you were to see, if you had been there at that time and you had been there to see the birth of Christ or see the newly born Jesus, I think you'd have made known abroad what had taken place. And these shepherds did that, and it says everybody that heard about it, and we're going to come back to this in just a moment, everybody that heard about it wondered or marveled at the things the shepherds had told them. So there's the wonder of Mary, there's the wonderment of the shepherds, but then there is the wonder after they had brought Jesus, you know, they kept the law, they brought Jesus into the temple like they were supposed to do, which by the way is a whole other sermon. You remember when they built the temple in, in the book of Ezra and what happened, what we're told about there when the old timers saw it, what did they do? They wept and said, it's not the glory that it once had. It's not like Solomon's temple. It will never be like Solomon's temple. The young people just rejoiced because they had a temple. And the old folks said, well, it, it's not going to be like it was. And what did God say? I'm going to bring greater glory into this temple than was ever in Solomon's. And what happened? The Lord Jesus was brought into that temple. Okay? Greater glory. And so they bring him in, and here's this man named Simeon. He was a faithful servant of God. And he longed for one thing, and that is to see what he refers to as God's salvation. The Messiah come. And here they come bringing Jesus into the temple, and Simeon's there, and he sees it, and he begins to praise God. And we read in those verses that he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now I can die in peace. I've seen the salvation of God. I have seen what God has prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And the word of God says in verse 33 that Joseph and Mary marveled at what Simeon had to say about his prophecy about the Lord Jesus, of the words that were spoken of him. And again, this word marvel means to be astonished. This is our baby. Now, you just remember Mary's a virgin. When there's a long pause, I'm just really debating whether to say something. You know, a young unmarried woman having a baby in our day is not looked down upon. But it was in that day. It meant she'd been guilty of fornication. And what did the law say? Well, we won't get into that. That's another sermon, like I said, should happen. And so Mary and Joseph, if you read back in where Gabriel's talking to Mary and he tells her what's going to happen, she said, 
just so be it. As the Lord wills, so be it. That was Mary's attitude. She was going to suffer accusation. She was going to suffer some disgrace at the hands of people, not at the hands of God, at the hands of people, because here is this young woman who is not married, who is expecting a child. And she said, as the Lord wants it, so be it. But they marveled at what is happening here. And Simeon, again, had said he had prayed, the scripture tells us, with expectancy for the consolation of Israel. What's he talking about the consolation of Israel? He's talking about the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. He calls him God's salvation. He calls him a light to lighten to the Gentiles. By the way, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Amen. Folks, Jesus is the light of the world. John 8, 15, Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Listen, folks, as dark as this world is today, it still has light because Jesus is still in this world and I know he is because he's here by the Holy Spirit, but he's also here as his churches carry the message of Jesus Christ and his salvation into this world. Amen. You know what's going to happen one of these days, that message is going to be taken out. And the Holy Spirit is going to be pulled back and the Lord's churches are going to be taken out of here and this world's going to be dark. We think it's dark now but folks it's going to be darker than dark. So there's the wonder of Mary and Joseph. There's the wonder of the virgin birth itself. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14. God's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan and he says and the Lord God said unto the serpent because thou hast done this Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Here's the prophecy of it. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and what? Her seed. Not the seed of the man. Between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Calvary was the bruising of the heel of Jesus but Calvary was also the crushing of the head of Satan. Amen. But God says the seed of the woman. The woman's going to have a child. And he's a reference to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the promise of it in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, certainly that would be something miraculous, wouldn't it? That would have to be something of God. Anybody who knew anything knew that virgins could not have children on their own. And so God would have to do it. And he did it. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And what was Mary told his name would be? Yes, Jesus, but there's another name the angel gives her. What? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That God himself would come down and take on human form. And there's another wonder about this time of the Lord Jesus coming into this world. And it is this, that a completely holy God would care so much for sinful mankind that he would give his only son to die for our sin. Romans 3.23, we know that verse, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, we ought to be familiar with it, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet, what? Sinners. 
Christ died for us. In fact, verse 10 of Romans 5 says, when we were at enmity or we were enemies to God, God loved his enemies enough that he sent his only begotten son to die for them. That is the wonder of this thing called the virgin birth, of this thing called Christmas, okay? And of course, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, sometimes I think we as God's people, even we, now I'm not talking about all those other folks that go to church that aren't in here today, all right? I'm talking about even us. Sometimes I think we've lost the wonder that ought to be a part of the observance of the birth of Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think it's just Christmas, you know? Instead of remembering this is God and God's mercy coming upon this world and upon lost mankind. Does the birth of Jesus excite us anymore? Or have we heard the story so much? We'd love to tell the story. We sang that. I'd love to tell the story. But have we heard the story and told the story so much that it's just an old, old story? Does the birth of Jesus excite us? Does it amaze us? Does it fill us with wonder? Does it incite us? Those shepherds were incited. You would be too. Has the commercialization of Christmas taken place of the observance of the birth of Christ? Do we look for the Lord Jesus to come with the same prayerful expectancy that Simeon had when he prayed and expected the consolation of Israel, the salvation of the world to come to this earth? So there's the wonder. We ought to consider the wonder of Christmas. And then what we need to do is come to worship. We need to come to worship. Upon hearing the news of the coming birth of the Lord Jesus, what did Mary do? You go back to the first chapter of Luke. In fact, you go back to chapter 1 and verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know what that word magnify means? Literally means to make large. But what it's saying, I'm, I'm going to glorify God. My soul is praising God. It's exulting over the message, over the news that I received. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. When Mary got the news that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child, she worshiped God. She praised God. She thanked him. And again, she said, as he wants it, that's the way it needs to be. You look to chapter 2, verse 20. We've already touched on this, but after seeing Jesus, the shepherds returned to their flocks doing what? What does it say in verse 20? And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. What did they do? They worshiped. Christ has come. We saw him in the manger. And so they worshiped God for what God had done. The proper response to the thought, to the news of the birth of Jesus is one, and that's worship. We ought to worship God for what he's done. We ought to praise God for what he's done. Most of society today has forgotten about praising God, has forgotten about worshiping God, has forgotten about thanking God for the coming of Jesus. It's just Christmas. And much of our culture has excluded Jesus from Christmas. Amen. All you have to do is go into the stores, folks. I've been in a few. I'm not a big Christmas. Most of my, I told you, most of my Christmas shopping is done like that. And so I've not been in a lot of stores. 
But when you go in, how many stores that you have been into had something about Jesus in them? Unless you went into a Bible bookstore or the Baptist bookstore or something like that, you probably didn't see anything about the birth of Jesus and may not have even seen Christmas, but happy holidays. Much of our culture has excluded the Lord and many of us many times are guilty of leaving Christ out of Christmas. How did Simeon respond? We saw, we read how Simeon responded to the birth of the Lord Jesus and to seeing him. He took him up in his arms, verse 28. And he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, verse 29. He praised God. He glorified God. He worshiped God for what he had seen, for what he had been told and what he knew about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Again, the proper response is worship. Now, I want you to point out something. And this is, it just took me a while to catch this. And when I caught it, I said, that's good stuff. You know, it wasn't mere chance that Simeon was in the temple that day that Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple. You say, well, well, how do you know that preacher? Well, it's a keeping of God's promise. You look back to verse 25 here in Luke chapter 2, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Look at verse 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that says God led him into the temple at that day and at that time. Amen. Folks, I don't believe in coincidence. And I don't believe in luck. Especially when you're dealing with a child of God. And here is God leading this child of God, Simeon, into the temple. And God is going to keep his promise because Again, it was shown to him, it revealed to him that he shouldn't die until he had seen the consolation of Israel. I think verse 26 says he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so God's keeping his promise and God just uses the Holy Spirit to lead him into the temple on that day at that time and there's Mary and Joseph. Sure was lucky, wasn't he? No. He was blessed by God. God directed him. Now why were Mary and Joseph in the temple? Because they were being led by God. They were doing what God had said in the law that they were supposed to do. And so we'd say he was in the right place at the right time, but no, he was in the place where God put him at the time that God wanted him to be there, and he, God kept his promise to him. See, when we let the Lord direct our steps, I think this is important. When we let the Lord direct our steps and we do what we were supposed to do, you know what we're going to find? We're going to find ourselves in the right place at the right time. Right? One of the places to be in order to be in the right place at the right time is together with God's people in one of the Lord's churches worshiping the Lord. We're familiar with Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And then, we're not going to leave these guys. I know they came probably about a couple of years later, but the wise men. The wise men came from a long way away, didn't they? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are what? 
and are come to worship him. The birth of Jesus was made known to them. And they said, we're going to go worship him. Now, we don't know for sure where they came from. We're just told they came from the east. Bible scholars say it may have been Mesopotamia. It was likely from the area around ancient Babylon. It had been a long and difficult journey. It would have been a journey of several hundred miles either by foot or riding a camel or something like that. We, you know, we know they rode camels because every picture we've seen of the wise men, they're on camels and have camels with them, don't they? Well, certainly that's got to be it. We don't know how they came, but it was a difficult journey. It would require great expense. It would have meant much time away from home. It would have been much time away from family. But they came to worship the Lord Jesus. It would have been full of danger. It would have been full of trouble. And yet they came to worship Jesus. Now aren't you glad that we can come to worship God through the Lord Jesus Christ and not have to, at least right now, live in fear of danger? Amen. Except maybe your own driving. That may be part of it. But we don't have to worry about danger right now. But here's what they did. They made the trip. And they paid the price. And they said, we're going to go and worship the Lord. Why? Because they counted Jesus worthy of worship. We've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. True worship is still costly, folks. Amen. True worship is still costly. It costs you your time. Now, most of us here, and we've got a few folks that drive a long way, but most of us here can be at the church house in just a few minutes, can't we? Some are closer than others, but in just a, a five or ten minutes, maybe 15, we can be here. The time required is not extensive to come and, and to worship the Lord. All our services put together require what? About five hours a week? And yet, you know, we've got people that still won't come and assemble themselves with God's people and worship God together. I guess, I can only make assumptions but I guess there's some folks that just don't feel God's worth that much time. You say, preacher, be careful. No, I mean, what, what is, else is there to assume? Boy, y'all are quiet. See, there are folks, I'm fixing to get even deeper, okay? I mean, if I'm going to drown, I'm going to go to the bottom, okay? There are many that just tip God an hour on Sunday and then pat themselves on the back like they've done something wonderful. That's not called commitment. Is God worthy? Is the Lord Jesus worthy of our worship? Amen. See, the crowd that does that really doesn't worship God. We had a discussion about that in Sunday school this morning. Aren't you glad I just bring the Sunday school class right on over? Into the... But we did. And we talked about, we discussed, we wondered how many people really have a consciousness of God even in a worship service. A consciousness of the Holy Spirit, even in a worship service. You know, the scripture says, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, that we're to be filled with the Spirit. The idea of that is to be controlled, and God's desire is that we would be continually controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now there's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the control of the Holy Spirit. The control comes when we just give ourselves over and let Him take charge. I tried to use the illustration, and sometimes I don't do what I said in the illustration. But folks, most of the time I get through preaching, I have no idea what I said. Because I really want the Lord to take this over and preach through your pastor. 
I said, yeah, I've got these notes, but Brother Gene knows I don't stay with them, you know. If you want an experience, just try working in the sound room when I'm preaching these notes and we've got a PowerPoint going, okay? We need to come with a consciousness of God and a willingness to worship and not just go through the motions. Amen. And when I talk about time, I'm not talking about the time that it takes to drive here and I'm not talking just about the time that it takes to sit passively through what we call a worship service today. True worship is an investment in time every day that we live and every moment of every day. It takes time. Listen, it takes time to pray. It takes time to seek the Lord's face. It takes time to deal with sin in our own lives. Amen. Most people don't want to do that. Preacher, tell me how good I am. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. And so a lot of times we just don't want, we don't do that because we don't want to deal with it. It takes time, listen, it takes time to prepare our hearts for worship. I tried to share a quote and I can't remember it, didn't look it up between Sunday school and preaching, but I shared a quote on Facebook this morning from Vance Havner. He said, may we get such a consciousness of God in a worship service that when that service ends and we go out, we don't talk about the things we usually talk about when we leave a worship service. Amen. That's one of the reasons that we don't let the Holy Spirit control us like he wants to. Because I tell you, if we did, we'd be witnessing, we'd be praising God, we'd be learning scripture and sharing scripture. And some folks would say, well, you're just one of those religious nuts, aren't you? And we don't want to be known as that. So, Holy Spirit, you can have me Sunday morning between 11 and 12. You're meddling, preacher. I know it. This is why so many people come to church and they just never truly worship. You've got to set self aside. You've got to take the time to prepare to come and worship. And it may be that a lot of times we don't put the effort into preparing for worship that we need to. But the proper response to Jesus, whether at his birth, at his death, at his resurrection, at his thought of his coming, the proper response to Jesus is worship. And you can't live in the world all week long and walk into church on Sunday morning ready to meet the Lord in worship. I've been worldly all week. Now I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be godly. I'm going to, I'm going to worship the Lord. No, there's got to be a preparing of the heart. Repenting of sins. Psalm 108, the psalmist, I love this verse. The psalmist said, my heart is fixed. Now I will worship and sing praises. Why is some of our singing lackluster? It's not because of Brother Ricky does a good job. Amen. It may be because we need our hearts fixed. I've often thought, and we may try this one of these days, I don't know. You know, I suggest things and then I don't want to try them, you know. But I've often thought, here's what we need. We need to have the preaching first and the singing next. Maybe it would have an effect on our singing. But that's not the way we've always done it, preacher. <laughs> I know. It takes time and, and it takes feeding our souls on the Word of God in private and in personal worship. I challenge you, before the service next week, spend some time with God in private worship of God. I tell you what, it'll change the worship here if we'll do that. So, we need to consider the wonder. We need to come to worship. And then the next thing is we need to commit to witness. Commit to witness. Go all the way back to verse 8 here in chapter 2. 
And it says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We're familiar with that. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. First of all, what's happening here? The angel is witnessing of Jesus. What does it say? It said the shepherds were out in the field and lo, the angel of the Lord came and announced the birth of Jesus. Angels worshiped Jesus. Angels wanted to witness of Jesus. And so the shepherds, after they had seen Jesus, we read this a moment ago, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. So the angel witnesses, the shepherds go and see Jesus. And what do they have to do? They got a witness of Jesus. We're going to tell everybody, we have seen the Christ. We've seen the Messiah. We saw him lying there in the manger of Bethlehem. And then, as I pointed out a moment ago, even the people who the shepherds had witnessed to, when they heard it, what did they do? They went out and told what the shepherds. Somewhere along the way, folks, a generation quit going out. A generation of God's people quit witnessing. And today, for the most part, we have churches that don't witness other than in a public worship service. I can remember our dad talking about trying to witness to one of the men he worked with at work. And they say, oh, you can't do that. But if you can work and talk at the same time, you probably can, okay? At least tell him what Jesus has done for you. And then I mentioned the wise men. I said they, wit they witnessed before they even saw Jesus. They saw his star that was going to lead them to him. And they came before Herod and they said, we have come to worship him. Now, evidence seems to suggest this was an elite class of men in Babylon. They were called in Persia kingmakers. They appointed kings. They anointed kings in their homeland. These men were very powerful and these men were very influential. And they stood before King Herod and they told King Herod about Jesus. Hey, if you got the opportunity, would you witness to the president of Jesus? I think he needs him. Okay. That's not a political statement. That's a spiritual statement, folks. Would you witness to the governor of this state about Jesus? I don't know whether he knows him or not. What about the mayor of our city? Would you witness to him? Well, how about the person who lives next door to you, see? These came a long way, and they witnessed to Herod about King Jesus. And the words that they spoke and the gifts they gave declare their worship. They show their worship. We've come to worship him. And they gave themselves at the feet of Jesus. Now, I think there's some people that weren't there at the manger. I don't think the little drummer boy was there. I don't think you're going to find Santa Claus kneeling at the manger. But the shepherds and the wise men came to worship our Lord. And you know what? That's what the Lord expects of us. Abandon our pride abandon our pretense before him. See, we can come in here. In fact, years ago, I put a saying on the sign out front said, you can fool your pastor, but not the master. We can come in here and we can look all holy and Christ-like and all of that and sing the songs and appear to be right with God, but God knows our hearts. 
So we need to rid ourselves of the pretense and of our own pride. The angels and the shepherds and the wise men were speaking the greatest news in all of history. Christ has been born. In fact, the world has never been the same since Jesus Christ was born. And that news has been announced. But more than ever before, our world needs to hear the news of Jesus Christ. You know, talked about darkness. There are still people in the darkness of sin today. Oh, yes, preacher, all these countries over in the Middle East and so forth that won't recognize God, won't recognize. No, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about one of the greatest mission fields there is in the world, the United States of America. Major cities in the United States of America. In the darkness of sin. Just listen to people. Just watch people. Hear what they say on the news or some of these reality shows where they're, whether they've committed a crime or whatever they've done. And there's no thought about their relation before God. They're standing before God. So many think that life is just to get born and to live and make as much as you can or get as much as you can and then you die. And nobody even seems to consider that there is a life after this life. And what you decide to do with Jesus right now will make a difference. We live in a world that needs Jesus as Savior. And we know that what he can do for them, nobody else can do for them. And we know that we should tell them of his power to save and to change lives. And we know if we do tell them and they trust him, he will save them. And he will change their lives. And they will never be the same again. That first Christmas is so full of instruction for us. We need to come to this time of year. Not with the wonder of Christmas. But the wonder at the birth of Jesus Christ. Of God coming into this world and taking on the form of man. And when we do that we need to worship that God. There's one God, one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. We worship God through Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, what? I'll draw all men to me. And then as we worship him, because I don't think if we're, if we're not witnessing of him, we may not be worshiping like we should. We need to witness. We need to commit ourselves to the witness of Jesus Christ. So in closing, I'm going to ask a question. Have you been guilty of crowding Jesus out of your life? Not just this time of year, but in all of your life. Just being too busy with things of life. Being too busy with the things of the world. The world passes away, the scripture says, in the lust thereof. If so, would you right now consider the wonder of the birth of Jesus? He came to this earth as a baby. He came for you. He came for me. He grew to be a man. He willingly went to the cross. Would you commit yourself to coming regularly? And I think most folks here do, okay? To coming regularly to worship him. And then would you commit yourself to witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the shepherds did, to say, this is such great news. You know, I, I don't know. We can hear about a movie, we can hear about a place to eat, we can go and eat there ourselves, and it's just such a great experience, what do we want to do? We want to tell other people, hey, you ought to go to such and such a restaurant. And yet we have the greatest news in all the world, 
in the history of the world, we keep it to ourselves. If Jesus has done anything for you, tell other people. People think, well, I don't have a seminary education and I don't know the Bible that well and I can't really be a witness of Jesus. Are you saved? Were you lost before you were saved? Were you going to hell when you were lost? Y'all knew that. You don't have to say amen. Are you going to heaven now because Jesus saved you? You can tell somebody about it. How were you saved? Well, I trusted Jesus. You've done it, see? In less than 60 seconds, you told somebody why they needed to be saved and how to be saved, and yet we won't do it. The wonder, the worship, and the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ.